cross it in, looking for Garza, backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Five Stripe Final, the world's only highly distributed audio discussion discussing all things Atlanta United. And more, because today is our first wildcard episode of the season where we talk about whatever we want with whoever we want. And today we're joined by Bobby Warshaw. Bobby played seven seasons professionally, I think. Uh, MLS, USL, played in Sweden, uh, but only after graduating from Stanford, where he played for four years. Uh, He recently wrote a book titled When the Dream Becomes Reality, and it kind of discusses a lot of the nuances of what it means to be a professional athlete. I want to dig in to that with him because that's the main reason probably that I'm interested in having him on, but we'll, we'll get into that later. Uh, you'll probably recognize him from his work on MLSsoccer.com where he writes all sorts of articles and uh, he also appears alongside the affable Matt Doyle on Extra Time Radio. So Bobby, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Affable? That's the word we're going to use for Matt? <laughs> that was in, I, w- I was air quoting myself when, uh, when I said that. It's funny because um, the only time I've, I've actually seen Doyle is when, he's, when you guys were down here for All-Star Game and then also uh, the MLS Cup Final, of course. And like, whenever I see him, I always feel like he's just kind of doing his own thing, like a, a man in his own thoughts, just by himself. <laughs> contemplating life's realities trying to stay away from other human activity <laughs> yeah i think he was like one of the only guys who came down with the uh, extra time radio crew that didn't actually play i don't think i saw him actually playing on the field um definitely not <laughs> <laughs> but i did want to kind of get into that that's actually the first like we didn't really meet at that point in fact i don't think we've ever really kind of met in person but um i did see you there you wouldn't have known who i was and i wasn't gonna like go introduce myself to you. Um, but I did want to kind of, I think it's a good jumping off point for us was to kind of go back to that night at all-star game. Um, and we really have to thank uh, Weeby. I think he did a lot of the organization work for it. Um, but I kind of wanted to get your impressions of just that night kind of playing on that field. Um, it really feels to me like it's kind of like a, it's like a little micro micro scale of what Atlanta is as a soccer town, you know? Um, and I just wanted to kind of get your kind of opinion on the vibe that night and just kind of your general impressions of, of that night and, and the soccer town that is now Atlanta. Playing on the little turf field at, is it five points or four points? It's five points. Yeah. Five points. It was awesome. I think you're exactly right. That is the epitome of, what Atlanta has become in the soccer landscape. I mean, they're the, if you look at their, the players they have in the field, the crowd they have, the general support, the general feeling, it's no surprise that they're also one of the only teams that have this totally accessible soccer field right in, in a major part of the city. Um, here in New York, there's not, there's certainly nothing that nice, but there's very few places you can just show up that protects you from rain, protects you from snow. Uh, people can watch, people do watch. Uh, that was one of the the cooler experiences of 2018. Yeah, that is really the under the uh, underrated part of that is that you're kind of protected. Like the weather is not going to really a- affect much. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's a good program, and I like to see kind of w- what a guy like uh, Kyle Martino now is doing with his Street FC program, kind of trying to bring that that pickup style of soccer to 
to large parts of America. I think that's that's something that's desperately needed. Um, but anyway, so let's get into you. So the reason I wanted to bring Bobby on to kind of be a host is because I'm just really fascinated by the way that um, not just the way that uh, you analyze the game and just your, your punditry style, but I really like the fact that you're so open about um, about about going to play like going to places and performing like mental exercises almost about soccer that not a lot of pundits dare to go to because it almost can come across as um like borderline like uh almost beneath a a, a pundit to like to explore a topic in such extreme depth um and i think that just in general that's what i what i get from your personality is you're just a guy that likes to you know explore those 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 deeper parts of whether it's um, the life of a professional athlete like you did in your book or whether it's, uh, you know, Yamil Assad playing left back. I think that there's a, there's, there's kind of a connection there that goes between those two things. Um, Is that something that you, when you kind of got into this media business, is that something that came natural to you? Is that something that you thought about? Is that something that you are aware that you do that kind of, that is a, a differentiating point between you and other, other pundits that kind of, you know, are on a national scale? Yeah. This is a really, uh, a really good question because, so when I got into it to, to provide the background, I started writing when I was a player and I was writing pretty generic things, things that were pretty uniformly, highly guard highly regarded you know the comment section were nice oh it's nice to have a player's perspective on these things it's nice to have a player that can put together you know cohesive sentences on a piece of paper um and i thought that that's it was just nice to be liked i don't know how else to put it mm-hmm. and then i got into the job full time and we just do a ton of content a ton of articles a ton of videos and pretty quickly i became divisive which is not what i expected right having written prior having uh, been in like the media landscape a little bit, I was not prepared to be polarizing. Um, I didn't intend to be. A lot of people think that in some way I do it on purpose. Like I mean to, you know, irritate or I mean to bring things out of left field to start kind of like, that is not the way I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, I look back, you know, in the past year, I've done a lot of soul searching on this, being polarizing, being someone that, um, I don't know, gets conversation started for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of a little bit who I've always been as a person, as a soccer person, um, and specifically in soccer, just because I do have, it, it stems from this, right? If you read sports, if you read books about baseball, basketball, NFL, the way that like all other sports are so far ahead of where soccer is. And since I was in high school, coaches would tell me things. And I'd be like, I understand why you're telling me this. I understand that this is why most teams do things, but like, it's, it's wrong. Like, what is the backbone support? Um, and so the, a lot of what I talk about just comes from this general premise that like, we're still really far behind in the way we think about soccer. And I, I guess going back to the original point, I wasn't prepared for that to be so incendiary with the stuff that I do. Right. And I think, you know, part of it is like, you're right. I totally agree with what you just said. And at the same time, it's like, we're far behind, but we almost need to go back to basics when it talks, when we talk about some of these things that we talk about instead of yeah. like, you know, the false nine, like all these kind of totally the, 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 this lingo, this soccer lingo that we all, that loves to roll off of everybody's tongue. But I feel like at the same exactly. time, half those people don't even know what they're talking about. You know, it's like, they're just 
they're talking about how they line up their FIFA team or something. Um, and, and that's not if the I, If I can, yeah, yeah, no, sorry, finish up. No, go ahead and go ahead. Well, I was gonna, if I could add something, I think you actually you said such a good point that to raise the level of conversation, you have to break it down to bare bones, which is where I think I often get a ton of crap. Yeah, I ask really dumb, simple questions, and people are like, "Bobby, shut shut the hell up," and I'm like, "Then answer the question." Then, like, literally provide me a good, coherent answer because I don't think that you can. We take these things as, as inherent truths because we've heard them for so long, but it's like, actually explain it to me. And the one last year was I had said to Yamil Assad, who you guys are familiar with, uh-huh. to play left back for DC United. People are like, he's not a left back. I was like, well, then explain to me what a left back is, what a left back does, and why Yamil, Yamil Assad's skill set can't play that position. You, I might be wrong, but you got to put together a few sentences explaining it to me. Because it looks to me that, like, based on what Yamil Assad's skill set is, what he can do on a field, and what taking away the word left back, what that person on a soccer field is tasked with doing, that this player can do it. And you know who else I think gets a lot of crap for this? And I, I don't, I hope that I don't want my name to actually go next to his in this category. Mm-hmm. But I think this is where Alexi, Alexi gets a ton of Alexi Lawless, maybe like the non-soccer diehards out there. Mm-hmm. And that I remember Alexi put out a question on Twitter when, when the U.S. Men's National was hiring a coach. He said, would you rather Pep, have Pep Guardiola as the head coach or would you rather have someone like Greg Berhalter? And everyone's like, Lexi, shut up. Dude. Obviously, it's Pep. But you take that question and it's like, is it obviously Pep? You know, is Pep the right guy to come into American soccer with this player pool, with these players and all these things? And what it does is if you actually are willing to answer the question, it makes you think about what is actually important for that coach. Um, and yeah. I, so I don't usually, I, I don't generally try and do that on purpose. I think it's naturally who I am where it's like, I'm a, well, just explain it to me kind of guy. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of value. The problem is that that's often hard. And the point right. of sports and sports can, and sports content consumption is that it's easy. Like we follow sports because it gets us away from the hard things in life. We want it right. to be fun. We want it to be exciting. Like I actually don't want to break down what a left back does. Just tell me who the best five best left backs in MLS are. Yeah, you know? that, that, that's totally right. And it's, and it's so funny when you talk about that, that comparison that Alexi made because, yeah, it does make sense. And I feel like people from the outside, people who kind of consume all of this, you know, they think and they, they don't actually put themselves in the shoes of someone who would, you know, be part of that that chain of command that the coach that stems from the coach, you know, they don't, they don't picture themselves as a player. They just think of themselves as a fan, which they are who watches game, you know, soccer games from all around the world during the week. And they see Pep as the, you know, the highest profile, the, the most glowingly talked about. And so he's naturally the best guy for the job. But, you know, if, you know, if you have a different perspective on it, like you have, or like Alexi has, I think that you can, it's easier to think about those things and maybe, you know, put those points out there um, and I, I, they make a lot of sense if you think about it, but I feel like a lot of people don't want to think about it. They just don't want to look dumb, you know? So they, so Pep is the safe totally. answer. So, totally. Um, and that's something that I, that's something I think if you want to do this job honestly and well, you have to risk looking dumb and like, God knows I have a lot. Um, but I think you have to kind of go deep and you've got to go four or five sentences into it to make me look dumb, which I'm okay with. And like, I'm willing to take those risks. Right. And that's like exactly where the Assad thing is, is because if you read the article, you would have seen what was happening, which was that you were it was almost more of a thought exercise than it was, you know, than than it was anything else, really. Um, but if you just read the headline, you know, or just read the first couple sentences, you wouldn't kind of kind of get all that. So, um, yeah, I just think that's fascinating. And I feel like it's just stems from, 
you know, having I haven't read your book yet. I've bought it, but I haven't gotten to read it. I have got a, a couple other things in the list in the so it's in the queue. Um, but it seems like you you know like you put a lot of thought into these types of things. Um, so now it's the soccer punditry, but obviously writing this book and just reading what I've read from the summaries, um, it seems really really interesting. And it's funny because I feel like now I'm kind of coming into this a, a similar sort of realm. Um, when it comes to kind of like an imposter syndrome that, that pe- people and athletes have to deal with. And I got to say the one thing I, um, I thought about when I was reading, when I was reading the summary of your book was a passage from a book called fever pitch, which is a famous, you know, it was a, it was a movie with uh, it was a British movie and they made it into a baseball movie or whatever, but it's about soccer. And it's about this guy who's an Arsenal fan, grows up an Ar- Arsenal fan and just his stories. And one of the stories is, um, he had, he sees a guy getting booed off the field and I think he had like scored an own goal or something in the game. And so he was getting subbed out later and everybody was booing him and the guys. And so he kind of gets lost in his own mind. He's like, think about where this guy's been. This guy has been, he was the best player in his little neighborhood team. And then he was, so then he got an opportunity to play for the next level up. Then he was the best player on like the travel team or whatever, you know, and it's like, and he keeps on, he's the best player at every level he's been at. And now because, you know, he's gotten all the way and, it, you know, it's a very it's long. He goes like multiple pages talking about, you know, the next step, the next step. And then the ball nicks off his knee, goes into his own goal. And now everybody just wants to kill him because uh, because that that this random thing has happened to him. Um, and so it kind of reminds me of you when I was reading your, you know, preparing for this kind of reading through your through your bio doing some research. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing with you where, you know, you were a state player of the year, you know, all of this. And then, but, but things don't always, aren't always linear in, you know, in, in professional sports. So I, it is, I'm assuming that's kind of what the main track of the book is. Yeah. I think ideally the main track is different for everyone that reads it, that okay. you know, a, another professional soccer might, player might connect with different parts that a accountant, I mean, ideally there's, there's five or six themes that different people can latch on to. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely this idea of a little bit of luck and a little bit of fortune that comes with being a player. With, with, I think it's true about any job, right? You know, being having your boss or the person above you in the starting lineup leave at just the right time, and then you get to step in. You know, in MLS right now, it's like Jeremy Bobasi. Like Portland tries for two months to replace him, they don't. And all of a sudden, he gets five more months to prove that he's good enough. Uh, so there's so there's that. Yeah, that's definitely one of the main themes is the importance of fortune in anyone's profession. Yeah. Well, it's where can people buy it? Cause uh, it sounds like it, I mean, I bought it. I think I bought it on just like some website. Is, is it on Amazon? Is that, uh, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes okay. and Noble, pretty much anywhere on the internet. You can buy books. It's when there. the dream became reality is the name of it. Yep. Um, yep. very good. Um, I also laugh. I, <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say something. So never mind. That, Hit it. You got to say it now. I all right. Well, okay. So I saw now. you went to Stanford. I saw you went to Stanford. It's, yeah. co- it's so funny because um, my brother went to Stanford as well. And I've just nice. recently, so I've just recently dove into a not so nice topic of uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Okay. Uh, do you, are you familiar with her? Theranos CEO. She went to Stanford okay. and dropped out. And now she's being sued for everything she's worth because she was a fraudulent business leader, but she was, she kind of prided herself on being a Stanford dropout, which I find is like, 
now that's becoming more like a more notable achievement to drop out of Stanford than it is to actually <laughs> right. graduate. It seems like that gets more notoriety than anything else nowadays. Um, but let's go into it. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. I was going to say that. Well, now you got to go. <laughs> I, no, you're exactly right. There being a dropout definitely holds something to it, but I don't, I wouldn't count them the same category. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that it kind of plays into why she was such a fraud. Uh, anyway, getting way off topic here. Let's get, let's get back to Atlanta United. Um, they kind of scared the shit out of us. Um, and when I say us, I mean like us on in the Atlanta United bubble um, on Thursday with this uh, this performance in Costa Rica against Herediano. They lost 3-1. It could have been worse. It could have been like 4 nothing, 5 nothing even. Um, but mm-hmm. for a few good saves from Guzana, I assume that you watched the game. Um, how much stock should we should we in the Atlanta United bubble be putting into that game? Uh, like Tesla 2012 stock. <laughs> okay. You know, like a little bit, a tiny little bit that could grow, but not a ton. So I'll start off with this comment. Well, first of all, it's important to know that those games are just bonkers. And like, I, I wrote an article about this where I can't explain it. You know, I've literally played road games in CONCACAF. I played road games in domestic cups in multiple countries. And I've, I've been a, it, they're, they're totally unpredictable. And even when you're playing them, you feel like you're in a different sport. You know, it's like you played a thousand soccer games in your life and those single elimination or like home and away elimination cup games on the road are the weirdest ones. And there's absolutely no way to prepare for them. And I have no explanation for it because yes, the travel and the new opponent and the new surface and all those things. But if you add them all up, they don't account for like how weird and crazy that game is. So I know that's not a great, it's not great to be able to actually give the tangible explanations, but that's just what it likes to be, to be in that game. Well, yeah, um, it, but I, it, it, um, it, it, I don't think that we, again, when I, when I'm referring to we or us, I'm just referring to it, people in the Atlanta United bubble. Um, I don't know if we over here kind of understood how actually how hard it is to play against a team that's in season versus coming up, coming into your first competitive game. I mean, you could really see just fitness-wise, Herediano mm-hmm. looked like they had way more in them. Um, and then, obviously, just the cohesion in the team was was very much different than what than what mm-hmm. we're accustomed to seeing. And that's kind of, I guess, that's why I, yeah. I wanted to ask the question is because I don't know. You know, we, uh, we like you know for the last few years we've been watching other teams play in, in Concacaf Champions League, and um, you know. I guess rel- some of us relishing in the schadenfreude that, that comes along with that. Um, and now we're kind of experiencing it ourselves, you know, kind of seeing our team mm-hmm. at not its full yeah. capacity. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and so, and so I'm interested in um, something I talked to when I talked to, talked to the players last week and um, you know, before this game and uh, you know, Michael Parkhurst, Lorenowitz, these guys, veteran players, um, you know, they talk about you have to adapt. You have to adapt. That was that was probably the word that got recited the most when talking about going and playing these kinds of games. And I wanted to ask you from someone who's experienced it, like, what does that mean? If we're going to do a classic like Bobby Warshaw dive into, um, mm-hmm. you know, some some cliche lingo, like, what does it mean to adapt yourself to that environment? 
So I'll give you a, a very specific example. You know, if I'm a center midfielder, if I'm Eric Rometty on that team, and the ball comes for me to Michael Parkhurst, and in a regular game, you know, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, maybe I bounce it back to Michael Parkhurst and he can connect the next pass, or I play it, you know, I play it around the corner to uh, P.D. Martinez or Julian Gressel advancing forward. In a game like that, to, to adapt, you say, screw it. Like, I understand that I'm probably not going to connect this pass or they're going to pressure so instead of trying to play someone's feet, I hook it in behind the defense. Largely the way Atlanta United played against Red Bulls in the playoffs, right? You know, for 34 games, Eric Rometty tries to connect a pass back to, to Michael Parkhurst. All of a sudden, you play New York City in that first playoff game, and Eric Rometty is like, screw it, and just kicks it to the corner. So that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a very specific thing. It's largely just we can't try and play. You know, the first game of the season, you work all preseason, you do possession, you do passing drills, you build this idea of who you're going to be as a team. Not to mention you just want to show everyone that you are better than this ninth place team in the Costa Rican league. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really hard to wrap your head around, like, let's just go and survive. Let's not try and connect passes. Let's defend. Let's not give them easy opportunities. And let's hope to, to sneak a goal, especially when you are like the myth that's been built up around Atlanta. I mean, not the myth, but like the legend right. um, where you are supposed to crush everyone. I think that added weight hurts them a little bit. Whereas Red Bulls can go down to, to Central America and be like, screw it. We're Red Bulls. Everyone knows what to expect. We don't have to impress ever, anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah I, it, it, they showed it, how they could adapt in the playoffs, and then they just didn't do it. And you know what? Eridiano is not as good a team as Atlanta United. You know, I got in hot water for writing that their players couldn't make the roster. That was not meant to be an, a fact. It was more of like a player's perspective thing. But mm-hmm. they're still somewhat close to a fact that most they probably don't have anyone that can make the starting lineup if everyone's fit and healthy for Atlanta. Maybe one or two guys. Right. But the margins are so small that if someone is on on a day and a team is off on a day, then all of a sudden Aridiano, the ninth place team in Costa Rica, can crush you, which I find to be beautiful about this sport. You know, the fact that you've got to be on and prepared every single day, you know, mentally, physically, tactically. Yeah. And I and I the other thing I love about the sport is like unlike in a sport like basketball, where it's kind of like you can have your best player lead you and and kind of carry the carry the rest of the team doesn't really work that way in soccer and soccer you need everybody to be kind of on the same yeah. page switched on and it's not as easy to do as some some teams can make it look sometimes and exactly that kind of leads me to the next question which is about frank DeBoer. so um being around the club you know me as a reporter you can really sense mm-hmm. a difference in just the general um mood the vibes you know i don't know a a great way to phrase this but just the general environment um atmosphere when i'm at the training ground Mm -hmm. you know um Mm -hmm. and i'm kind of i wanted to get from your perspective again from a player like how do you think it's a it's a major obstacle for atlanta united to transition from a personality like tata who is more laid back you know i've i've heard stories that the training sessions could just kind of started like whenever it was just like a general time of like you know 10 o'clock or whatever instead of you know if you're at 1001 you're getting fined i don't know if that's actually true mm-hmm. i'm just making it up but it's it just stands as a you know right a contrast to the way that these two guys uh mm-hmm. like to manage their team how how difficult is that going to be a major difficulty do you think coming from a, pl- a player's perspective I don't know if a difficulty, if I would go there yet, but it's definitely a variable. What, so this is, might be a little bit against what people around Atlanta believe, but I never saw Tata Martino as a tactical advantage per se for his team. You know, that team had nice ideas. They could build out of the back. They were cohesive enough. 
Um, but Mike Hugh is as detail-oriented as some of the other top coaches in MLS or around the world. His main advantage was the atmosphere that he had built and the fact that he made his players both play within the, the level of system that he asked for, but also feel comfortable and confident and valued. And we often think about managers in a video game mode or a you know, checkbox mode on what they can do tactically. But a big part of managing is, is this man managing and setting a, a culture and a vibe around the club. And I think this is, you look at Jesse Marsh and Chris Armas, for example. I don't think anybody thought that Chris Armas was going to change anything tactically. You know, he had been the number two guy for Jesse for however many years, three or four years. He had basically learned all of his coaching chops from Jesse, but they're just different human beings. And that matters a ton. Um, so I'm not going to say whether Frank DeBoer's mindset or the culture he builds is better or worse than Tata, but it's definitely more of a variable than anything he's doing with the, the shape of the team and where Pete and Barco play and those things. Yeah, I mean, and that's a great point because I when the game was played last Thursday, um, immediately after I saw a lot of discussion about, yeah, just what you were saying about the tactics about, you know, should uh, should Miles Robinson be playing as the central center back or the right sided center back? Should the should the wingers be inverted or should they be flipped? And I think a lot of it is, you know, to sure there there is some merit to that. I think that probably both sides and those specific points have have a have a case to make. But I don't think that that was what was making the difference that night. I think that it was more overall team cohesion. And I I think from my perspective, that's something that I'm concerned about with this team as they go into the season i think that they could actually really struggle um for a good bit uh, i don't want to say along the same lines that toronto did last year because it's they're so such a wild card in terms of the injuries that they had it's hard to tell kind of what was and, and, and it's just a different situation completely but i mm-hmm. think that they could struggle just having to adapt to a new coach with a congested mm-hmm. fixture schedule um and with some, you know, some tough games, some tough games coming up. Yeah. So um, what is your kind of overall outlook for Atlanta United? What are you expecting from them this this season? Yeah. So I would say, first of all, that Atlanta United are and should be the favorites. I, I will get into the concerns because I do think it's a really interesting conversation. But just from a general, you know, macro concept, yeah. you know, their roster, their depth, their quality of coaching their home field advantage, all of these things. It's really hard to say that, and a largely factoring in that there aren't any other teams who really take that from them either. You know, it's not like last year where, or in, you know, years previous when it's like, oh, the Galaxy are going to be really good or the Red Bulls are going to be really good. You know, you look at the East, I would be really surprised if the Red Bulls finished in the top two in the East, just because I don't think they will care about the regular season at all. I think they will take entire, entire weeks, months of like trying something new or not pressing to save their legs for the playoffs. You know, out West, maybe LAFC steps up, but they've got a ton of questions in midfield. Maybe SKC steps up, but I think that number, the fact that they don't have anybody that single-handedly win games, this is all to say that if you, if you don't try too hard to go outside the box, Atlanta are clearly the favorites. But going to what you said, yeah, I think that these ideas of having a new environment, having a ton of star players, you know, I said last year, at the very end of an extra time radio, and I don't even know if they put it in the show or not, because I think we were technically, the mics were off, um, that I, would, I was really worried, especially after the Houston game, which I guess when we were all worried, that they just had too many stars. There was only one ball, and they had too many guys that wanted it, you know, mm-hmm. to use a basketball term. Um, and everyone talks about depth like it's a good thing. Man, I've been on a team, and like depth ain't never been a good thing when you're in that locker room. 
right? Like, guys aren't playing. I know we have this idea that there's good team guys. I've never been around a player in his prime who didn't want to flip a car when he was benched. Yeah. You know, and like, that's what made Tata, that's what made Tata so genius is he could manage all those things. Like, think about the stuff that happened with Barco and that didn't become a problem. Or like, the fact that Tito Vialba didn't start for a month and it wasn't a problem. Uh, yeah. So, and that, that, anyway, that's, a, that's, that's exactly the situation yeah. that I worry about in this situation where if Tito Vialba is not starting, you know, like, does he react the same way? Um, Andrew Carlton, like, what's the deal with him? I think that when you talk about death being a problem, I think that, you know, that's definitely a case uh, that we could point to is just the general, I think, frustrations that he had and just, you know, not not really getting what he felt like was a deserved opportunity for him. Um, so I think, yeah, I think there's these little landmines that Atlanta needs to try to avoid as much as possible this season. Um, I agree with you just in general about the talent, you know, like you can't really deny the talent level. Um, but I think that there's a lot more to it than talent, especially in MLS where the talent is a lot more granted. Atlanta has like a lot more talent than when you look at like the bottom of the, you know, bottom half of the league, but like, you know, and I feel like the margins are much finer in MLS because of the, you know, the salary constraints right. and the budgetary constraints and all that. Everybody's kind of closer together. And the more of these kind of um, non-sporting, if that's, I guess it's still sporting, but like, yeah, if it, not having to do with the actual soccer ball um, issues that could come up. I think that that's something that they're going to have to be aware of. Uh, and you touched on something that I wanted to get to as well. Um about Miguel Almiron, just kind of, or, I don't know if you mentioned him specifically or not, but I wanted to talk about kind of the void that he leaves, because I think that what, mm-hmm. from what I saw again in this Herediano game was that they missed his, his industry, his work rate, you know, like Pitti Martinez is, is fantastic. And he was, you know, nutmegging guys and, and just like toying with defenders at, at times, um, keeping the ball away from them. But I felt like Atlanta really needed, Miguel Almiron's legs in that game. I, th- I feel like that was almost like one of the biggest things that was missing. Um, are, would, are is is that a concern for them? I, I think that we can agree that there's sure. going to be a yeah, there's going to be a, a betting in period and figuring out how to get results without him. Um, but I do wonder kind of how long that's going to take. Atlanta United's main asset, like we, this is the thing. If you think about them tactically, like they weren't great pressing team or they don't even like they tried to press that off. They didn't. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't a great possession team. Like they felt like they felt like you really had, had faith that they could move 10, 12 passes and score a goal against a set defense. Yeah. Um, for large portions of the year, they were good, not great at just sitting deep and soaking up pressure. This is all to say the team, the thing that really made this team special for the last two years was their ability in transition. The fact that literally every second of the game, there is like some high percentage probability that Atlanta could score five seconds later, whether, you know, whether they had the ball or not. Uh, so losing that, losing the player that is best at what you were best at is concerning. Um, I've watched PT play four or five times in, in Copa Lib, um, once in the Argentine league. I've gotten people saying I'm wrong on this. I think he's amazing. A lot of things. I don't think he's amazing in transition. Um, he's, not he's at least not to Almiron's level. So all of a sudden, for as wonderful as PP is, he doesn't do the he doesn't do the element that made this team so dangerous. Um, which means this is going to be a, a very different team. Uh, to add on to that, I think what we took for granted about Almiron is how amazing he was right away. I mean, you could go through the list of, of high name, high price players in this league. Very few 
crush it in their first season or two seasons. And that mm-hmm. includes mega stars like Henri and Beckham and, and I'm, I'm blanking on the other names, but it yeah. usually takes a while. Um, so even though I trust that PJ Martinez is a wonderful player who on total overall ability is as good, if not better than on our own, I would be very surprised if he was as effective in major league soccer in 2019 as Almiron was in 17 and 18. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, the way that Almiron has gone on to play with Newcastle and I know it's just been, you know, a couple one start and one sub appearance so far, but it doesn't surprise me at all that he just fits in right away with that team or with any team mm-hmm. because he's such a, He's such a versatile player, but his, and his skill set is so wide and so varied. He can do almost anything. Um, and with his quality on the ball, you know, it just makes things that much easier for him. Um, I am. Have you been able to watch him at all in the Premier League? Uh, I did not get to watch his one start. Was it two days ago? Was Saturday yeah. morning? Yeah. I'm in, a, I'm in a new relationship in the past year, and I'm trying to learn how to navigate <laughs> these weekend mornings. Right. Yeah. Where it's definitely. She gives me. A, yeah, the give take. There's negotiation involved. Yeah, take some. So I there, there's I some watched him yet. Social capital that needs to be built up there um, before you can start. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Well. Um. That's cool. I don't know if like I I didn't really have any other questions really. Um. It's just I think it's just going to be a very interesting season for Atlanta United. I think it's going to be a really interesting season for MLS in general. I feel like there's not. You know, we've talked about Atlanta and I being the favorite, but there's also, you know, there's so many pitfalls for them uh, this season. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, there's not really just a clear cut favorite this year. Um, and then you add in the whole element of the revamped playoff structure with the one with the single game elimination and all that. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be really fascinating. And I suggest everybody um, go to MLSsoccer.com. They just did all of the uh, season preview articles um i watched your one on atlanta united before this show it had just released today i think so um i suggest everybody go watch that is there anything else that you wanted to kind of plug before uh, before we get out of no, here? here here's my question for you do i get one okay. question yeah absolutely what is your interpretation of atlanta united fans in the mls landscape oh yeah um whoo boy uh they ex- love the passion. I, I think that that's kind of the first phrase that that comes to my comes to comes to mind is just like you know, love your passion. They are. It's it is you know. There's so the college football connect. Um, you know that kind of relationship or connection has been made many times, and it's about the the tailgate atmosphere and the kind of the party atmosphere behind it all. But I think it extends to a lot of like the social media kind of like just craziness, like people. Um, people are a little insane sometimes. I think people lose their inhibitions when they're talking about Atlanta United, and kind of they they maybe it's a social media thing too that they just kind of lose their their perspectives a bit and get lost. They lose touch with reality. But um, yeah, I yeah I just think they they want everything. They want it all now. They wanted it yesterday actually. Um, and that's that's great. I think because of that kind of that kind of desire um, is what pushes the club. Like we've seen it. So there was an issue with um, stars being put on the crest and of the, of the kits and um, they were not putting stars on the replicas. They were only putting them on the authentics and due mm-hmm. to, you know, fans were upset and rightfully so about this. 
Um, and you know, the club, it, it forced them to, to make a change and they're now, you know, going to be putting the stars on all the replica kits and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. And I think that that's kind of like, that's almost an, a, a great anecdote for kind of like what Atlanta United fans are. They're very demanding. Um, but like, you know, with, with good and the yin and the yang with good and there's bad in everything. Uh, and I think it's, mm-hmm. it's the same with Atlanta United fans for as demanding and kind of obnoxious um, that we see them to be sometimes, you know, that's, that's why the games are so passion filled and so electric. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the, the, the way I would put it, but it definitely is like yeah. a different, it's a different atmosphere. Um, and Atlanta United game is, you know, so I, I was not in the press box. Um, basically, every game they played in Bobby Dodd Stadium the first year, I was just in the supporter section. Um, mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, like, being in the supporter section there is like, it's a special thing. Like, you remember, you remember what it felt like. And you kind of have, like, you know, images seared into your brain of, like, where you were when you felt like that. It's, it's very strange. It's very, very cool. It's not something I've felt at many sporting events or just any other experience I've had in my life. What is your perspective right. of it? Well, like what, what do you, I mean, I'm sure for all the negativity I just talked about, you probably get it like the national <laughs> media probably gets it way worse than anybody, any of us. Yeah. It's Atlanta. Definitely. When Orlando is winning and active, they're up there. Um, and it's, yeah. Like you said, it's, it's really hard for me to balance in my head. Cause I love the passion. I would never, I would never tell them not to tweet not to provide their critique, not to do any of those things, mm-hmm. but it's also hard, right? There's times that I, I have to do an Atlanta or I want to do an Atlanta article and I literally have to think twice, like, is it worth it for me to write this article and then get the abuse in the comment section and then in in, on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't, I don't want them to not be as passionate and I'm not about, so it is really hard. Yeah. Uh, and it's, again, it's funny. I guess like the yeah. abuse thing is like, I where was I listening to this? I was listening to somebody talk about like people's social media behavior, and it's like this guy. I forget, what was it anyway? This guy is like getting abused, um, like extremely bad, like th- like death threats and stuff, and um, and then like he would meet these people who did it, and they were just totally different people, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, like thank like, and they were like actually happy For to sure. talk to the guy when uh, when he gave them some attention, you know. Um, Not and only I feel that, like, if you do it on Twitter, sometimes I respond to a tweet and the people are like, oh, like, yeah, okay, good point. Like, thanks for the response. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? Like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And I think that there's, there's definitely a good amount of that in Atlanta United fans. In fact, I see, like, it's funny. I see, I'll see, like, every, like, maybe once a month, I'll, like, see somebody um, in my timeline. There'll be, like, a tweet that comes in. It's some Atlanta United fan that's, like... I realize I've gone too far. I need to take a break from Twitter. And, you know, they're making their public proclamation that they're, you know, leaving Twitter yeah. for, you know, however long it's going to be. But yeah. Um, yeah, lots of passion. So, you know, one point I do want to make about Atlanta United is I think that a ton of credit has gone to the front office and Darren Eels and, and Bocanegra and the head coaches and the players. But one of the underspoken, you know, underappreciated parts of what's been built in Atlanta are the people that produce, I don't want to say produce the content, but just talk about it and give fans a place to, to be around the game. You know, you and mm-hmm. Rob and Jay Riddle and Kelly Francis and mm-hmm. 
um, there's 10 others that I'm blanking on. Um, oh, yeah. The podcast to the Twitter accounts to the writing about the game. Um, I think what you guys are so, do is so valuable. And this is also at the top of, of the league. You know, like the Sounders are up there as well. The Sounders have a really good um, independent media section. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I just think you guys deserve a ton of credit for what you do. We joke about and it. That's Felipe why... Cardenas. Yeah, yeah. I want to throw Felipe's Felipe's name and I almost forgot him. <laughs> yeah, how, I, he, I sit right next to him at, usually um, for games. We're usually sat next to each other. But yeah, that's we joke about this podcast. We call it a, a highly distributed audio discussion and age dad just to differentiate ourselves from the podcast market, which is, uh, yeah, yeah the, there's a gazillion and one uh, Atlanta United podcast out there, which is great. I think it's I think it's fantastic. Everybody. I, I What I really liked about the Atlanta United podcasting community like all the people all the people who listen to their podcasts also have their own podcasts but i feel like most of the podcasts fill like a specific niche that appeals to a certain type of person um so i mean god knows what people like about this one but uh but you know there's like there are some that are great for um like that will dive more into tactical discussion there are there are some that will be more like fan centric and talk about, you know, funny stories that happened at the games. Um, Jay and Kelly, who you just mentioned, do, you know, stuff live from bars and stuff like that. So I think that's really cool to kind of have that, that diversity amongst the fan base. And it's something that, you know, the diversity in the fan base um, talking about, and when I talked earlier about Atlanta United being special, like being in the supporter section, being like a special moment, it's, that's part of it is that diversity is that, that you don't really get in an, any other Atlanta sport. And it's funny because I feel like Atlanta sports are quite demographically. Um, each one has, has a, a very unique demographic to it. Um, mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, Hawks games are, there's mu- much more African-Americans. Braves games are almost completely, almost uh, largely white, you know, um, mm-hmm. Falcons, I guess is a, is a decent mix. But Atlanta United, truly, and Atlanta United, yeah, it's bringing out the Hispanic um, population mm-hmm. to the games, which I think is great. There's multiple uh, Spanish language podcast, Atlanta United podcasts, which is amazing. I think that that's that's one of the coolest things about it. And there's definitely a story that hasn't been told completely um, about the Hispanic population here uh, in Atlanta, kind of embracing the team and and all that. But um, yeah. Anyway, rambling now. Anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? No, that's it. That was awesome. I really, yeah. It's fun to kind of break out of the usual conversations and usual questions, so I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, well, yeah, thank you. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. We might be able to get your uh, – maybe we'll get some some of your colleagues uh, here down the road as we do more of these interviews. But um, thanks for joining me, and I uh, hope everybody listened to it, enjoyed it as well. Uh, we'll have more of these. Um, there's a game this Thursday we should all probably be paying attention to. It's at 8 o'clock. Uh, it's at Kennesaw. Obviously, it's not at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. If you've been asking about parking, um, I don't know yet. I'm assuming the club is going to make some sort of notification about that or send an email out or something. We'll let you know if we hear anything about parking. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, until then, we will see you guys later. We'll see you probably. Uh, we'll have a podcast for you on Monday um, after that weekend of the game. So until then, we'll talk to you guys later.